0: everyone watching um i am joined by dave mason the uh, co-founder of holler um, i'm not gonna talk about what that is because uh, as i just said i want him to introduce that and talk to it um, just a you know a quick background i was introduced to uh dave by ulrich who uh co-founder of Learly, who i uh, interviewed uh several weeks ago and uh, who was introduced to me by my friend rohan who i met several, who i interviewed several weeks before that so there's uh you know a few degrees of separation but here we are anyway dave thank you for taking the time to talk to me and tell me about um holler it's really great to sit down and chat with you
1: no, thank you. I appreciate you uh, reaching out and kind of connecting. It's always fun to talk about what we're doing and uh, how we got to where we are.
0: Oh, I'll bet when you've got that uh, passion about it, you know, it's uh, obviously there's never a bad time to talk about it. So, you know, I'm, I'm really appreciative that you're doing it here with me. Um, on that note, really just to, to dive on in. Why don't you tell me about Holler, what you guys do, how you're shaking things up and what kind of, uh, you know, brought you um, down this path? Sure. I'll, I'll start with the background
1: story. Cause I think that's the most interesting part
0: of oh, the whole absolutely. thing
1: and how it kind of unfolded. Uh, it's all centered around uh, me leaving my job <laughs>
0: <And> <laughs> at the time. This one before.
1: Yeah. At, at the time it was sort of uh it was time for me to kind of take the next step in my career. And so I kind of ventured out and was going to trade shows and conferences and meeting with people. And I was building an an augmented reality and virtual reality agency. We were focused on helping brands and institutions bring AR and VR into their marketing channels and efforts and really kind of being that point of contact to help them get to production companies, try to help them to get to integrators, things like that. Sure. And we had created some things, we had built some really cool stuff and trying to show that to people was really hard. Uh, You'd have this person's attention on a trade floor, you'd have their attention uh, in a conference, but you couldn't just show them what you were doing without pulling up YouTube and handing them your phone. And then if the signal wasn't great, it didn't go so well. And you know, there was always this like awkwardness around the exchange and Parallel to that, another buddy of mine had gotten into uh, this NFC startup. And what they were doing was putting NFC tags on packages as they were leaving the warehouse to be the first point of contact for like a digital unboxing experience. Did you say
0: NFC tags?
1: Yeah. So NFC is near field communication, which is the same tech that powers like Apple Pay, Google Pay, all that stuff. Gotcha. It's, okay. Yeah. Cons- contactless transmissions.
0: Okay. And.
1: So I I was really just taken away by it. Like I knew what NFC was, but I'd never spent that much time in it. And so we were looking at this and I was like, you know, what if I could use this to network with some people? And a buddy of mine and I were kind of going back and forth. And he was like, dude, I just met this guy. He had this NFC business card, but it was just my, it, it basically just pulled up his contact card. And I don't really want to save his contact to my phone. Like I just met this person. I don't know who this person is. Uh, So we start talking about this. We start going back and forth on it. And eventually we arrive at this conclusion of uh, trying to build this networking tool. So we put it together in like a Wix page. And this was like December of January of last year. And I start using that to network and it works. Uh, Mm -hmm. People are like, well, wait a second. Like, okay. Yeah. I I go to your YouTube page. I can go to this Um, email me directly from inside the profile. And it was like, building those instant connections with people. And we realized that that had more value than what we were doing. <laughs> so we, yeah. we decided we maybe we should start building this thing. So we start building it, doing a little bit more mar- market research and uh, the pandemic hit, uh everything kind of like unraveled. And we were just like, you know what? We have a contactless way for people to communicate. Like let's double down. So we went all in on it and spent the first half of 2020 kind of finishing, building it out, doing testing with people and all that stuff. But what we've concluded, what we ended up with is Holler, which is the easiest way for people to connect instantly. And that's our our mantra now. It's we help people instantly connect and put what you wanna share in the hands of the people you wanna connect with. And then from there, we've added in like some networking tools uh, things that make it easy to send emails, to, to do follow-ups, uh, to schedule meetings through something like Calendly. Uh, we're, we're putting those things into the platform so that you're now only sharing this one thing and all of those things that have to happen after the fact can happen from there. It's almost like this hub of all of your sales and marketing efforts in one place.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. I've, uh, I've seen, uh, I watched, you know, the kind of like demo video kind of commercial you have on your website. And it's like, uh, you know, you see a guy taking photographs or whatever with a professional camera and you're like, maybe I could hire him as a, um, you know, to, I don't know, photograph my wedding, whatever. So do you have a business card? that's like scan my holler. Exactly. Yeah. And like I've seen, of course, you know, scan QR codes or whatever for, um, you know, uh, uh, to see a menu at a bar or a, um, or a restaurant, and you can do that as well with Holler, which is great because if you're already connecting with people, it's like, bam, now you've, uh, you know, we've got that all in one place. So it really simplifies away a lot of things.
1: Yeah, Um, you know, I actually talked to a a number of restaurants over the the past few months and learned that a lot of restaurant owners, uh, especially owner operators don't know how to leverage social media. Um, So they have a page. Yeah, they have a page, they post stuff occasionally, but they don't really use it. And so I've been trying to tell them you know, I tell them this QR code that you're using for your menu is busted. Like it just, it's not functional for what you need to do. And you're missing this huge opportunity. So when I show them holler, it's like the light bulb immediately, immediately goes off. But what they love the most is not that they can get all these people onto other channels, it's that they only have to print the QR code one time. Because the code is you can update the content on the Holler profile whenever you want. The QR code stays the same. So Uh there oh, if I upload a new menu, I don't have to recreate a new QR code like it was
0: (laughs) that was easy for them. I hadn't even thought about that. I didn't. It didn't even occur to me that those QR—they have to print new QR codes and stick them on the tables every time they make a menu change. Because yeah, it's static on like a QR code. You might, yeah, um, you know, scan off of a phone or something like that. That can change. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's a huge mm-hmm. value add. So um, I'm sure they got pretty excited about that.
1: Yeah, and so what we realized is there's actually you know when we started Holler, we went down this path of encoding NFC tags in a specific way uh they link to our platform in a specific way we never really thought i mean we had a qr code we had the sort of like custom link that you could use for sharing uh, much like what you would see with like a link tree but what we realized is those features are almost becoming more valuable than the physical contact uh technology so Uh we're actually going to start promoting those a little bit more in some of our marketing efforts is showing people and telling people, "Hey, you can use this QR code. You can use this link in your Zoom chats." And really, that's the purpose of it. We're not trying to compete with Linktree. Uh, we're not trying to be that. We're what we are a networking tool. And what I see happening a lot is people missing opportunities to do that, uh, not just with businesses but with people. And you know, put up a put a Zoom background up with your QR code the next time you go to a virtual conference and you would be shocked at how many times people scan it and go and interact every time i've used that thing i end up with three or four new you know networking things on linkedin uh, somebody has sent me an email like it's just it's a functional way to network and connect with people
0: So you could be like presenting at a conference, like you say, like, here's my holler. People can and just uh, scan it and boom, they can see whatever you put into that, your LinkedIn profile, your preferred email address, any social media, really.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the goal is really just to make getting connected easier in the right places.
0: Yeah, no, it sounds... uh, Sounds like it's got some pretty, um, uh, you know, astounding applications, even if it's like whatever, you're at a party, um, you know, and uh, I don't know, you're making a new friend and you want to connect on social media, people still do that. It's pretty, you know, quick tap of the phone or um, I don't know, you you, want to get in touch with a girl you met or something uh, rather than manually put in the phone number. I don't know. You tap your holler. and uh, Boom. There you go.
1: Yeah. You could go that route. We're, we're taking uh, a little bit more the uh, the professional um, the the sales folks Uh, you know, one thing that we've noticed and one thing that we know from being, being that person for a long time is that, 90% 90% of sales and marketing is just building good relationships with people. Sure, And so the easiest way to do that is to meet them where they are. Like we, we talk about trying to find your customer and, and meet your customer where they are and stuff like that when we're talking about marketing and sales. But the biggest part of it is like, what if you could hand someone, you know, the three or four social platforms that you interact on, you know, I'm on Snapchat, I, I use Instagram, I use LinkedIn uh, people can message me in those places. People can talk to me. Uh, if they have questions, I post content on there and, and talk to other people on there. So if someone doesn't use Instagram or doesn't use Snapchat and LinkedIn is the way they, they connect, but I'm just pushing my Instagram and Snapchat, then I'm missing that person. I'm missing a chance to connect with that person. And so I think there's going to be kind of this shift of facilitating where people interact and where they want to be versus forcing marketing channels on them and trying to push people Mm -hmm. into a specific place. Cause I I mean, I don't know about you. Everybody that I know and that I've talked to has more than
0: one like social platform that they use. I think I heard somewhere people have like on average, like a dozen. I mean, maybe they don't, I don't know. <laughs> some are some, well, maybe not that that wasn't exactly it, but it was a number higher than I expected. I, when I think of myself, I think yeah, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, you know, three, but I've heard for most people, it's a lot more than that. My, my point is you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's astounding, like
1: trying to share all that stuff. It's so hard. I mean, it's yeah. like, I, if you go to any platform, or any channel, like they're constantly pushing their other channels, because they're yeah. trying, <laughs> like, they're trying to capture people in, yeah, in other places. French.
0: Part of my French, it's a mass- <laughs> Um So yeah, anything that streamlines that I mean, I'm even thinking right now in the moment, like, you know, I've got uh, the, this podcast, I've I've now finally bit the bullet and created social media pages specifically for it. Now, um, you know, rather than try to hawk each one um, on the others, I, I can have a, an easy, you know, central location to put people in touch with all of them.
1: Yeah. And and really put the right person on the right journey because, the, yeah. you know, the, the other side, I mean, the, the the side of sales is build better relationships with people. Like people buy from people. People like to talk to people. Like that's yeah. your differentiator is you. So you can list all the features in the world, but if somebody doesn't like you, like they're they're not going to want to work with you. So build, yeah. Building those relationships is huge. The marketing side of it is like putting everything in a place where people can get to it easily. We've, we've kind of come up with this saying it's like how many, are you familiar with the uh, Tootsie Pop commercials from like the eighties and nineties where it was, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop?
0: Yeah, with the owl and the kid. and
1: Exactly, yeah. yeah. So our, we, we've kind of talked about how many clicks does it take to get to your content?
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> but that's a serious question people ask themselves all the time. It's a serious
1: question, yeah. And, yeah. and if you're saying, well, it takes my customer to get to the emails, to then get into this, to get to the white paper that's kind of back over here on our website, um, you know, think about how you're putting that stuff in front of people and not everybody is going to be on the same journey so are you capturing the right people at the right times with the right message and putting the right things in front of them it's
0: it's 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 a total conundrum (laughs) Mm. right yeah yeah absolutely now i know there's tons of research done at companies around how many clicks is too many to get, um, you know, to the right content, they're all they any smart company has their eye on the ballness. it's uh, you know it's easy to think like oh an extra two clicks five isn't that much different than three, but these people see data that shows them there can be massive drop off in use yeah. or purchase, um, in then between I don't know three to five clicks, four to six clicks, whatever it is. So that's an enormous um, you know headache they're trying to solve for people, and it sounds mm-hmm. like you are really um, you know angling to add value.
1: Yeah, and and we've kind of seen already sort of the value that Holler can add to an individual or even a business where you're you're talking about the number of times people will click through something and click to look at something. It it blows my mind, even I mean, even our own stuff, right? Our own e-commerce store or whatever else, the drop offs are heartbreaking right?
0: I mean, you yeah.
1: see, conversion rates are so low, it's painful, but it is what it is. I mean, it's just the data. Uh, it's, and it's the nature of the, the internet, but what we've seen on Holler is sort of this retention or that, that click dump. So where someone may click three or four times, well, since they're only clicking once to get to Holler, now they're clicking a couple times within your Holler profile. So they're mm-hmm. clicking to Instagram they're clicking to your website. And on average, we're seeing 2.4 clicks per interaction on a profile. So okay. or per, per profile visit. So where you're just trying to send people to one channel, you could almost be doubling that, if not more than doubling that interaction just from putting everything in one consolidated place and letting the customer kind of choose their choose the journey that they're comfortable
0: with that they're ready for right and, and kind of bounce around as they uh see fit um exactly. so i guess okay and like i'm trying to think like for a let's say a client that's got you know their social media kind of consolidated into holler is there are there ways or are you thinking of ways they can i guess i'll say customize for lack of a better way to put it how they want to present all that so that they can kind of create the journey for the customer they have in mind.
1: Yeah. And and we're working on some of those things and it's not just customizing like the look, like everybody right. wants to be able to customize a profile and stuff like that. And sure. we'll get there. I mean, we're still pretty young. Um, yeah, we have some course. things that we can do, but it's, you know, we're focused on sort of democratizing uh, this so that anybody can do it. I mean, it doesn't need to be something where you're bringing in a designer to help you design this profile and build out this thing. I mean, yeah. anybody on your team can open up the create an account and have it up and running inside of half an hour. And then you're able to share it anywhere.
0: Okay, well, while you're democratizing, um, you know, uh, connectivity between uh, marketing and um, customers, as well as, you know, enhancing um, the personal relationships needed to drive sales. I hope you do eventually get around to figuring out how to make it quicker for me to grab girls numbers, because I'm still single. and I think (laughs) that would be great. (laughs) But um, I I realize that if ever such a thing comes, um, that's a ways off. Maybe maybe I should and instead you <laughs> you guys do social media connectivity and stuff like that, I'll work on uh, making it easier to get people's numbers, girls numbers. Um, so I'm kind of curious, I wanna like pivot really quickly um, Obviously, in any you know, no matter how great an idea it is, no matter how great your execution is, there's obviously a lot of learning. There's a lot of challenges and obstacles being thrown up. I'd love to hear you tell me about um you know what have been some of the most notable challenges you've been facing, and you know how have you dealt with them?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the biggest challenges we faced was completely unexpected. And honestly, it was just from a lack of knowledge. And it's one of those things that nobody knew, nobody could have known unless doing the research to understand why isn't this working the way that we thought it would work. And it came down, it happened when we were about to launch. I mean, we were a week away from launch. And while we were out in the field testing with people, we noticed that things were like running considerably slow. Uh, When I would tap, somebody would tap my holler or we would get them set up. It would take three or four seconds for a page to load. And we were just like astounded at how long it was taking. There's not a lot of stuff here, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, like I mean that's simple. like like a lot of clicks. People don't like slow loading pages. Something like after two yeah. seconds, ninety eight percent of traffic. I don't know if those don't quote me on those numbers, but it's a profound drop off after a very short amount of time. So I, I, I feel event, like that's accurate. <laughs> it's that probably sounds... not too far off. It's probably yeah. I, you know it's it, it, it if you don't know the numbers, it'll probably astound you. But in any event, I'm sorry I didn't mean to derail what you. No, were no. Uh, Please continue. It's me.
1: it's a great stat to kind of support while we were panic. Why we were panicking. I mean, we were like, we were trying to test it and show people and we were in the position of like, we're showing this to people that have never seen it before and it's not working. (laughs) It's like, you're just sweating bullets. I mean, you're turning red. You're like, oh my gosh, what is happening? It worked so good on my Wi-Fi, which was, you know, (laughs) for many hundreds of megs a second. Uh, But I get out into the city where I've got buildings and everything else. It was a completely different story. So what we Mm -hmm. found out. I won't go into too many details, but what we found out is the database structure we were using is really great once a page is loaded and has Mm. to like reload or refresh information, but we needed to be on something that could serve the content faster because people aren't going to live on the website for very long. We don't need to have this long load to get everything loaded for them to interact with a bunch of stuff. But we had built it on that, really not knowing that that was gonna be a pitfall. And so mm-hmm. once we had finished, we we were like, what is going on? We finally, we we did some research. A week before we launched, we ported over everything. We rewrote all the code on, onto the new database, uh, rebuilt the architecture like in the span of a few days. I mean, it was a slog. Uh, Sounds like it. Got through it. Um, as soon as we started testing, load times were down to like 0. 0.7 seconds. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I mean, it was imperceptible imperceptible at that point. Uh, It was, it was the fastest that, I mean, I think we could have gotten it. Maybe if we were on a really fast cell network on 5g, we could go faster, but that was one of those things you just can't plan for. But it's so important to the entire product that you just have to bite the bullet and accept it for what it is and, and make that work. And, you know, we, we were like, we're going to do these features we're going to have all this stuff done and we're going to do this big marketing thing. And a lot of that's still bootstrapped. But at the end of the day, it was like, no, we need to spend our time and money making sure that this is the best experience it can possibly be for our customers, for the people that are going to use this Uh, because ultimately like their customers are the ones that are using it. And that needs to be a great experience.
0: No absolutely it's gotta be more than bells and whistles like it's gotta what uh, good is the you know fanciest product in the world with all this cool stuff I can't actually use it um did your i mean did you find like you know your customers those early adopters were forgiving and then you know um, appreciative of you know the of the improvements you made yeah well my my brother was one of the first
1: early adopters and if he wouldn't forgive me then I think I'd be in a bad place yeah, I mean, we had we had um, you know a lot of friends and family on the platform, and I will say this: one problem with testing with friends and family is that you're mm-hmm. always going to get good feedback. Uh, yeah, it was only when we started testing with people we didn't know that they were like, "Yeah, this is kind of weird," or "This is a little funky." I don't know how I feel about this, and and that's where like real valuable feedback came in the thing is, is you have to find customers that are willing to give you that feedback because if you're, if you're, if you're working with people and they like you, but they're not willing to tell you what's wrong, then you can't fix it for them. And so one thing I've learned in this process is that feedback is like just like, you cannot put a value on feedback from people and customers. Mm. So I've actually started doing that more. Uh, with a lot of the small businesses and startups that I interact with. It's, hey, hate to bother you, but do you mind giving us some feedback? It's like, no problem. I will take five minutes. I'll fill out your survey. Like, happy to help you out.
0: That's great. Um, You know, I I, I had a thought I wanted to add to that, um, which is, uh, you know, on the other side, you, and I don't mean you specifically, but like anyone, you know, gathering that feedback, you've got to be honest with yourself and accepting it, don't you? You know, it's not always, people could tell you, your baby's ugly, or this is a piece of shit. (laughs) And if they tell you that, you have to be like, well, okay, I, I, you're right. I hear why exactly. It says if they're being honest, you know, not if they're just being contrarians or just mean, but um, you know, when they are being honest, you have to accept that and use that to get better. Like that's the other, um, I've heard that from a bunch of other people I've interviewed as well as, you know, my own research stuff, like, you know, Y Combinator classes and stuff like that. So just thought I'd uh, add that thought. Um, as well what i am also curious about is you know how did you get a hold of these people how did you start cultivating the early adopter um, cons- consumer base that was willing to um, you know try things out give you that um, honest feedback and stick with you as you reiterated
1: uh, i mean when we first got started it was really tapping into our own network and mm. saying hey i've got something for you like i think i would like to you know, just get it in your hands, have you go through the process. And what was interesting, and, and I think this could be like the downfall of some like startup founders and, and stuff is, they're so excited to talk about their product that yeah. they give everything away before somebody really like actually has a chance to use or get into it. So what I learned was like, don't set it up, just tell them you have something really incredible. You're gonna give it to them for free. Let's meet up over a beer um that sort of thing and then just let them go through the process Uh, Mm. and then what what happens is you start to get that feedback you can take the notes and as long as you're willing to accept the feedback and make some changes ask for referrals Mm. say hey i'm looking to do this do you know anybody else that might be able to use this put us in touch and because that person had a really good experience um, you know, went through the process, their problems were listened to, they're sitting down with somebody that is trying to help them. Uh, you're providing a lot of value to that person. They're willing to return uh, the value to you tenfold. So, you know, mm. we were able to organically grow to a couple hundred users just by doing that, like talking to people, mailing them out to people, getting on the phone with people, um, however we could. And then eventually the way that we really scaled up was, we started posting just content on Instagram, LinkedIn, and TikTok. And it was, mm-hmm. we just want to show who our customer is using the product. And you know, we had seen some stuff around NFC on TikTok before. Uh, but what we were focused on was that small business owner that's trying to make a sale or uh, the realtor that's trying to grab that new lead. And get that person sort of in communication with them and get that moving. So we showed that we showed that with a small business owner, a photographer, a realtor, like the types of people that are out there networking, trying to make their living, uh, you know, build a career. And th- that worked. Uh, people responded. And, um, you know, the the TikToks kind of worked on their own. Uh, the content on Instagram and LinkedIn worked on its own. And that's where You know we had that sort of big initial push of users and didn't have to spend any marketing dollars on that i mean it was all just organic tiktok but or content but -hmm. it was just showing like showing the value in seven seconds like just give it to people straight
0: yeah no there's a there's a lot to uh you know kind of touch on in everything you said i mean um uh, for one thing you know what i i like that you pointed out you know you you didn't really say anything in advance when you reached out to people, you know, as so not as to bias them or give them any kind of preconceptions that they might yeah. cling to, which is very important for honest feedback. So that was very smart, I thought. Um, then in addition to that, you know, you did um, some non-scalable um, kind of activities, right? Just speaking to people, asking for referrals, which is not gonna get you to a million users, but it can get you a good no. core to begin with. And that's important, a big, I've touched on this in numerous uh, other interviews, so I'm, I'm kind of a broken record here, but something I learned yeah. at Y Combinator is the story of Airbnb, how they started out um, going and manually taking pictures to spruce up the listings, get the first customers and allow that to build momentum, which it sounds like what you guys did, Um, you know, do things that don't scale until you get to a point, um, you know, that does, and you've got the resources and the know-how to scale. So um, yeah. And you really, you know, leveraged uh, kind of the principle of reciprocity because you gave these people value because you clued them in on something, you know, very early, made them part of like an exclusive club. They wanted to, um, you know, reciprocate by, passing this along, especially because they got the value and they're like, I'd love to share this with my friends. Yeah. So that's awesome, and that's a great story. I appreciate you really, um, you know, breaking that down for me and uh, walking me through that. I guess uh, just personally, I'm curious about, um, you know, for you as an entrepreneur, what is your favorite thing about being an entrepreneur? Uh, an entrepreneur?
1: Um, wow, nobody's ever asked that before. Um, that's, a, that's a good question.
0: Um, <laughs> Glad you think so.
1: I've not always done this. So, I mean, I started my career sort of working in the agency world, developing customers, developing projects, working on stuff where we would like really drill down on these finite concepts of X, Y, and Z. And here's why, and here's why it's going to work. And I think that practice just eventually led to understanding how to do that with a business, like knowing who to go talk to, knowing who the ideal customer is, uh, knowing what to spend your time on and what not to spend your time on. But honestly, a lot of that came from just talking to people. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: it was just having casual conversations with people and then finding those threads that you could pull out a little bit and start asking the whys. And that's Mm -hmm. become like, that is one of the things that I absolutely love doing now is just sitting down talking to people, asking them why something does or doesn't work, uh, why don't why is there nothing out there that works for them? and then understand them. Uh, you know in my my previous I mean I, I still have a, a small agency that does some very boutique work and one of the things that we've realized is all of our clients tend to have a very common tech thread uh, personally. Mm-hmm. Not, not professionally, but personally. They they all have oculuses. They all love, um, yeah, they all love sci-fi and sort of like tech forward things. Um, and these are, these are personality traits uh, that are in people that are completely unrelated. They don't communicate with one another. They don't, they don't even know each other, but there's sort of this common thread with those people. So they have similar ways of thinking. So if you can find those things within like your customers at a larger mm-hmm. scale, such a great way to then fine tune your marketing messaging, the way that you talk to people. You can drop yeah. in Easter eggs to stuff. Um, for us, it's been like our our age group, the people that we talk to. Um, they're into the office, Parks and Rec, like that's their shtick, right? Um, yeah, me
0: too. Uh,
1: you know, we we have this running joke about Holler being like, "Is this the new Wolf uh, from the Office?" <laughs> And so, you know, on our 404 page, we have, you know, Brian uh, on the store, on the 404 page, uh, we have Ryan in the wolf t-shirt and in the GIF <laughs> where he's just yelling wolf. Um, and that's all it is. That's the 404 page. But, you know, that that's something that if so, like, no one's going to go look for your 404 page. No, but if you can start not. to craft the experience around things that people have a common interest in, Not just from like a work standpoint, but personally, like that's how you start to build like those really good relationships with people, uh, really good relationships with your customers. And they really start to like, like they become fans because you are like them. Like you could go get a beer with them, even if you've never met before, uh, but they're buying something from you. Like you could still go sit down and have a conversation with that person. I know a
0: lot of people who would get a crack out of the wolf joke, for sure. Um, I mean, I think it's a great touch, you know, and it it speaks to something important. Like as you're building a company and a culture, I mean, everyone likes to bandy around that corporate jargon. But it sounds like, you know, you guys, that's a there's a real identity forming you know you're really personifying um uh your company and what you do for people and that's a great that's a great thing for a company that seeks to foster connectivity right i mean Mm -hmm. it's an important part of connecting with your customer base and then i see it come through kind of in your passion for this why this is the road you went down, because your answer to my question you know why you love doing this is because it seems to it allows you to connect with so many people to you know learn about them and help them so um it all kind of comes together uh, in that sort of way, which is, I find that pretty fascinating.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's just sort of happened organically, uh, but I think that the, I, I'm my co-founder and I are building the product because it's what we like to do. We like to connect yeah. with people, network with people, see what they're up to, talk about what they do. And I mean, the, the whole product just around, centers around making that as easy as possible
0: that's you know i'll never get tired of people saying that everyone i've spoken to and i predict everyone else i do speak to is going to say the same thing this is what i like to do if they don't i'll be worried (laughs) yeah if if you're a
1: founder yeah if you're out there working on something if you're a founder doing something and you're really unhappy with what you're doing it's probably time to to step away from that to close that up and move on to the next thing because if you if you're not like just heart and soul passionate about it, it's going to show like it, it it comes through um, in everything else that you do. And it, part of that too becomes, comes from belief in the product. If Mm -hmm. you don't, if you don't really believe in it, then that's going to show too. And if you don't believe in it, then why should anybody else? Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's why we love this so much is because we see it work um we see it do its thing and it's exciting i mean it's it's just a fun thing to see happen
0: yeah and you know that's not to say entrepreneurship doesn't have um a lot of difficulties the kind of stuff that makes you want to tear your hair out but that passion there that loving what you do is such an important part of getting past those moments and you know to on and staying on the road to success so um you know it's not like either or it's uh you know a blend of the difficulty but then that passion seeing you through it all so um so i guess you know i'm also curious um you know a big thing about entrepreneurship or at least that i hear is obviously you know it's a grind it's um you know it's very challenging and um entrepreneurs tend to struggle with balancing um work and life you know I mean you've got you're married you uh, you were telling me before we uh, started talking um, you know that you uh, like to you like to travel um, and all that stuff so I guess how do you balance kind of your outside of entrepreneurship life and interest with you know everything you're doing here
1: no that's a good question and I think a lot of people I, I think they misconstrue and don't really take time to understand um, the amount of work it takes to find the balance. And also, I think a lot of times people create, my apologies, um, they create busy uh, to be busy, and they don't need to be. It's, it's, you can really distill down what you have to get done in a day in like two or three checkboxes. And if you can get through those three things, then you're you're in pretty good shape. Like if you can sleep, if you make time for sleep, <laughs> and make time to wind down, like those things are going to make you perform better during the day. So mm-hmm. it you have to really sort of find this. I, I don't think there's such thing as like work-life balance. I don't think that that exists nowadays. I think it's finding right. that work-life optimization, like what works best for you as a person, and your your the people around you, your family, your friends, whatever that might be. For me personally, I'll share this. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 please. Um, so this is something that I picked up, and this is not a plug. This is a I, I won't say the name of this because I'm not like promoting this. But you're free to add a you know talk about it later. Um, this is a, a journal that I got, and the journal basically gives you. I mean, it outlines things for you, right? It's like these are the things I'm going to get done today. These are the things that are on my checklist today. Um, I don't know what day that was, um, but those are the things that I have to get done. And if I don't, I can move them to the next day. And if they don't matter after a few days, then they don't matter. Um, right. And and sort of prioritizing things. And then the other thing is scheduling that time for family is like so important. It's like, and, and being consistent with it. It's like, I can go back to work at, you know, eight nine o'clock and work until midnight. Like that's, that's fine. My wife and I have that understanding, but between like five 30 and up until that eight, eight 30, nine o'clock, like that's our time together every day. And the mm-hmm. weekends are very similar to that. I have blocks that are, you know, th- that's my time for me to do whatever I want. And then we have our time together and those things are, we both commit to those, those are, that's what we stick with. Uh, we have that expectation expectation, agreement between one another. So there's no surprise. It's, this is what it is. This is the time you have to do the things you need to do. So you better get them done.
0: That makes perfect sense. I mean, definitely, um, you know, organization is key, right? Like staying on top of everything that does need to be done, prioritizing, yeah, and you know, not filling empty time with um, busyness. I think is definitely a very important thing you point out because it's like since this the narrative is always that entrepreneurs are always working and you know sleeping under their desks for four hours a day. If you're not doing that, you're doing something wrong, and it's almost like it's become a self fulfilling prophecy to just be on all the time. Yeah. And the simple fact of the matter is that's not healthy for you for the business. Um, and what you can really, um, you know, do the work life optimization, as you put it with by staying you know, properly organized by committing to, um, you know, spend time on your interest outside of, yeah. uh, you know, the job of being an entrepreneur and um, properly uh, prioritizing delegating. And, uh, yeah, again, staying organized, I think I said that, but I'll reiterate. Um, so yeah, no, that's, a, that's, that's incredibly uh, valuable insight. Um, you know, I appreciate you uh, uh, telling me about that. Um, I really just have one last question. And, um, you know, do you have any advice, um, or perspective you'd like to offer, you know, fellow um, entrepreneurs, either current or aspiring?
1: Um, yeah, like, there, there's two things. The first one is do research before you start to understand mm-hmm. your idea. A lot of times you can you can really very quickly figure out if an idea is good enough or not to go into a market. Sometimes mm-hmm. there are some things that are like, someone has like a visionary idea and that might take a little bit more time or validation, but a lot of times, oh, I've got this idea for this thing or this is a problem I'm seeing, I think I could solve it with do a quick Google search and figure out like if there is a market. A lot of people think that just because, oh, there's no market for this yet, it probably means that there's not a market for it, period. Yeah. So
0: yeah.
1: you know, it's it's like people see all these tech companies um sort of creating things, but you know, they weren't necessarily the first there either. Right? I've like talked-
0: People about this, even uh, other people I've interviewed, Google was not the first search engine, Facebook was not the first exactly. social media. You yeah. know, but the biggest success did not blaze the trail, they followed in the footsteps of those who came before and avoided making their mistakes.
1: Exactly. So, if you have an idea, do some research, figure out if you, if it's viable. If you think it's viable, talk to people. Like, before you say you're going to quit your job and you're going to do all this, like, spend a little bit of time to understand if there's any chance this thing might survive. Uh, The other thing is like, be you. Like so many people want to sit behind a desk and like push some thing out there that just, it's like, oh, we have this pretty website and this pretty logo and all this stuff. And it's just like, people want to talk to people. If a big tech company could feel like a small business, more people would buy from them. I'm convinced of it and i i feel that way anytime i'm shopping around for products or services if i have that interaction with someone if i'm able to establish communication with someone early on and it's a it's a like i feel like i'm talking to someone who's real and it's this you know this guy that started this thing or this little team of four people great like let's work together because i know that that little team that is putting themselves out there that's picking up the phone is going to be more dedicated to what i'm trying to do what i'm trying to build and support me than just some service i could buy off the shelf and pay 10 bucks a month for and service costs an extra chunk and i got to upgrade to get this other thing it's like if it if you treat it like a small the small business it is you'll you'll go a lot further because people are going to be a lot more willing to work with you and talk to you don't get a big head about a startup. It's not it's the yeah. same as starting a small business. You start small and then you you figure things out as you go and then you can grow.
0: Well said. I mean it's like you said before people buy from people you know never lose that human touch. That will yeah. always be an important part of connecting with your customers and um, you know keeping them believing in what you do yeah awesome well dave thank you so much it's been a delight speaking with you i'm really excited getholler.com right and that's holler h-o-l-l-r that's right we we
1: like the weird spelling things
0: yeah i, I you know what <laughs> i mean fewer keystrokes right fewer clicks fewer keystrokes make things exactly. easier.
1: exactly one less button click
0: there you go getholler.com <laughs> dave thank you so much really enjoyed it and i'm Really stoked about everything you guys go on to do. Yeah.
1: Thank you, Eric. Uh, let's stay in touch and, and keep things going and look forward to uh, your next episode.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Take care. Podcast highlights. Important points about how Holler is helping the world better connect. 1.13 Dave's background. 6.00 example of how we Holler ads value the restaurant industry. Additional Value. Cutting down on clicks and capturing customer attention. 17.53 Biggest Challenges Faced Thus Far. 28.35 Favorite Part of Being an Entrepreneur. 35.05 Balancing Work and Life. 39.03 Advice for Fellow Entrepreneurs.